0: The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz.
1: Neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, to the 128th episode of Dave's Gone By. An hour of smart talk, silly talk, special talk, and music. And the person who will be talking to most of the show is an actress, a very talented and fun and sexy actress. Ah, that will keep you from turning the dial. Her name is Lenore Zan, and she's been in dozens of movies since the early 80s. She also does voices for a bunch of Saturday morning cartoons, and in June, she'll be appearing in two off-Broadway shows simultaneously, Trailerville, about people in Trailerville, and her own solo, The Marilyn Tapes, where she becomes Marilyn Monroe. Now... I've never been a Marilyn aficionado, but she was certainly a fascinating character and icon. And Lenore has her own take on Monroe's style, her downfall and her lasting legacy. So, Lelore is my guest in the neighborhood tonight, May 19th, 2005, plus continuing the theater theme, our weekly Inside Broadway segment, with a bunch of off-Broadway shows to talk about, lots to do, and not much time. So I'll just remind you that Dave's Gone By is sponsored by Hewlett Minuteman Press and Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider. It's rated DGB13 for content, and it's hosted by me, Dave Lefkowitz, who shall return in just half a minute with Inside Broadway. I've been telling you for months why you should use Hewlett Minuteman Press for all your copying and printing needs, but here's one of the owners, Mike Toron, to tell you why. Hi, how you doing? At Minuteman Press, our ultimate goal is service. We are your best source for the most complete line of printed products. You can check us out on the web at www.hewlett.minutemanpress.com. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. You know, because of the end of the Broadway season, and the upcoming Tony Awards, and the Drama Desk, and the Outer Critics Circle, the last few editions of Inside Broadway... We haven't had much time to devote to off Broadway, but tonight we rectify that with a couple of major productions opening away from the glare of Times Square. We begin with Three Letters, BFE, a co production with Connecticut's Long Wharf Theater, where the show premiered last month. BFE is the story of an Asian American teenager, her rather strange suburban family, and everyone's fear of a serial killer on the loose. The author is Julia Cho, and she's had a bunch of plays workshopped and fellowshiped and finalisted, but BFE is certainly her highest-profile show to date. It opens tonight, May 19th, at Playwrights Horizons. And, staying with an Oriental theme, the National Asian American Theatre is doing a revival of the Anton Chekhov tragicomedy Ivanov. Jonathan Bank directs a multicultural cast... Not just Asians. It's a look at a widower whose pursuit of a younger woman can't quite stave off his depression and despair. Yes, yeah, check off. Ivanov opens Monday on the campus of Baruch College and runs there through June 8th. At New York Theatre Workshop, opening on Tuesday, you'll hear songs from an unmade bed. It's a one-man musical about being gay, being from New York, and being gay from New York. Not exactly the freshest of topics, but maybe lyricist Mark Campbell has done clever new wrinkles on the theme. Helping him along are a bunch of collaborators writing the music. It's more like a song cycle than a full-blown musical. But among those composers are Peter Foley, Deborah Barsha, Jeffrey Stock, and pop songwriter Duncan Sheik. Songs from an Unmade Bed starring Michael Winther runs through June 4th, down on East 4th, at New York Theatre Workshop. And speaking of tears and cheers for queers, another gay musical opens tonight at the Actors Playhouse on 7th Avenue South. It's called Trolls, and asks the question, Is life gay after 40? Bill Dyer and the very gayly named Dick Benedictus collaborated on the show, which tries to prove that homosexual men don't turn mean and desperate when they hit the big 4-0. 42, maybe. No, just kidding. The word trolls, apparently, is an unkind epithet for aging and raging queens. So the show is being billed as the boys in the band meets the sunshine boys and with songs to boot. And speaking of people in conflict, opening Wednesday at the Vineyard Theater is The Argument. Melissa Leo, best remembered as the red-haired detective on TV's Homicide, she stars in The Argument about a couple having marital difficulties. The author of the play, Alexandra Gersting-Vasilaros, had a minor hit two seasons back with the absurdist satire Omnium Gatherum. Now, Gersting-Vasilaros has a fairly wild, out-there sensibility, and can either be very funny or go completely off the rails. Unfortunately, she's tended to do both in the same play, and the Vineyard can be kind of hit and miss, but I thought their last show, After Ashley... Was one of the best plays of the year, so who knows. Maybe they'll win The Argument, which runs through June 15th at the Vineyard Theatre on East 15th Street. Oh, and since we mentioned Omnium Gatherum, Will Freer's, the guy who directed that, is now directing the darkly satirical comedy Terrorism on Theatre Row. It's about a bunch of passengers stuck at the airport because of a bomb threat. People get into fights, they have extramarital affairs, complain, make fun of each other, and generally try to forget the sense of dread that colors everything they do. Although terrorism premiered at England's Royal Court Theatre, it's a Russian play by real-life Siberian brothers Vladimir and Oleg presnyakov and they both teach literature and psychology at Gorky Urals State University, where they also helped set up a youth experimental theater. Among the stars in terrorism are theater veterans Elizabeth Marvel and Laura Esterman. And the show is being produced by The New Group. Those are the folks who gave us the very vibrant hit revival of David Rabe's Hurly Burly. Now that show just reopened for a limited run at 37 Arts. If all these names and titles and places are starting to sound like a hurly-burly to you, maybe you need a theater magazine that puts everything in its place. Easy to read and fun to explore. Like I suggest. Performing Arts Insider. Comprehensive listings on, off, and off, off off-Broadway. Everything you want to know about every single show. Performing Arts Insider. A Bible of the theater industry for more than 60 years. No other theater journal, newspaper, magazine, or website gives you this much information. So concisely laid out and cleanly presented. You want to see the layout? Visit PerformingArtsInsider.com for sample pages and more information about Performing Arts Insider. It's theater, cabaret, dance, opera, and, of course, all the big end-of-season awards 21 times a year or also available monthly 12 times a year with 10% off subscription rates for Dave's Gone By listeners. Again, check out PerformingArtsInsider.com for all the details. And you can also call Total Theater at 516-295-1511, area code 516 295 1511, and they will answer any questions you have about Performing Arts Insider. It's Broadway the best way. And speaking of Performing Arts Insider, the co publisher of this fine magazine is an even finer man named Richmond Shepard. Now, I have known Richmond as a colleague for more than a decade, and what hasn't he done? He has produced plays, done improv comedy, he's a professional mime. No, he, he's actually quite good. Uh, he is a college professor. Uh, he's a theater critic. He was once the theater critic for WNEW. And he owns theaters. And he's even the father of four daughters, one of them being Vonda Shepard, the singer who made it big on Ally McBeal. So you could cram about 20 lives into just the one life that Richmond has lived. And the latest phase of his life is writing and acting in a romantic comedy called Designer Jeans. That's G-E-N-E-S. It's all about a brilliant but crusty old painter, the pretty journalist who wants to interview him, and the painter's son who has female troubles of his own. Now, I've read the play, it's very cute. So, Designer Jeans runs at the off-off-Broadway Pelican Theater on 8th Avenue, and the idea is that if it goes well, if reviews are good, they'll move to a bigger theater, possibly with someone famous taking on the role that Richmond has now. So, fingers crossed. Go see Designer Jeans just opened last night at the Pelican Theater, and a big break-a-leg to my good friend Richmond Shepard, co-publisher of Performing Arts Insider magazine, which is where I get the information for this radio segment, Inside Broadway.
0: We've just been Inside
1: Broadway, thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider.
0: Psst. You wanna buy a watch? No? How about a dishwasher? Vacation to Europe? Well, what's wrong with selling my stuff this way? How else?
1: Advertise? On Dave's Gone By? Take a 30 or 60 second ad on a radio? I can't afford that. I can. And I'll reach thousands of listeners all over America? How do I? com has all the info, huh? Rate card and everything?
0: Done deal! Hey,
1: before I go, want to buy a raincoat full of watches? Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB and live streaming on the web at am1240wgbb.com. And I am here with Marilyn Monroe. No, not really. I'm here with someone who is playing and channeling and going through the vision and the life of Marilyn Monroe and transmuting that into theater. And uh, we have with us an actress who's, who's been doing theater and especially film and TV for quite a while now, most known recently for her voice work, but uh, also for, let's see, she was in the original New York production of Unidentified Human Remains and the True Nature of Love, a very popular, uh, sort of crazy little play of its time. And now, uh, as, as she told me just before we were going on the air with this, that uh, young men, 12-year-old boys kind of know her because she's the voice of Rogue on the X-Men cartoon, and these 12-year-old boys are rather grateful for that, but I'm rather grateful to have with us in the studio talking about her one-person show, not to mention another show she's in, uh, called The Marilyn Tapes, about Marilyn Monroe. It's playing at Don't Tell Mama through, pretty much to the end of June, uh, Miss Lenore Z-A-N-N. Lenore, are you there? I am. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I am fine. How are you, Lenore? How's the show going?
2: It's going swimmingly, thank you very much.
1: Oh, already going into the Marilyn voice, huh? <laughs> no, what is well, the key? you know, it comes naturally. What is the key to, to getting that voice down?
2: The voice? Mm-hmm. The Marilyn voice. Well, to start with, obviously, it's rather breathy. But um, the thing is, I learned how to perform like Marilyn a long time ago i was I started out in theater in Canada and I was sixteen when I became professional, doing a lot of musicals and things like that. and I basically was discovered at a place called the Charlottetown Festival where they do original musicals, including Anna Green Gables, um, because that's where Anna Green Gables was from
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, I was discovered in a concert one night. Where I did like a Marlena Dietrich imitation of a Barbara Streisand song from <laughs> Funny song? Girl. Oh, please, can you, can you <laughs> please, can you please? Sure, I did. I did. Well, I did the Cornet Man from Funny Girl.
1: Okay. But I
2: did it a la Marlena Dietrich.
1: Can we just hear a a, a bit? A sure. Moment. Well, I
2: mean, I'll give do you a little bit of Marlena Dietrich.
3: Man, cluster to me like moss around flame, and if the wings burn, I know I'm not. To
1: blame, falling right.
3: in love again, never wanted to. <laughs> you know the rest of it.
1: And, and so you have Dietrich doing a Streisand. Yeah. Cool. And, cool. And,
2: and interestingly enough, I mean, I was 18 years old, and I walked out on stage, and I did this number, and this author happened to be in the audience who had just written a rock opera on the life of Marilyn Monroe. And they'd been searching for a year for the right actress to play her. They'd checked out stars in Hollywood. Um, there were lots of names being bandied about that were very well known actresses at the time. But when I walked out and did this concert in Charlottetown Festival, Prince Edward Island, Canada, he turned to his wife and said, "That's Marilyn." Wow. So I had to start learning then everything about Marilyn. I didn't know anything about her. She was before my time, and I, you know, I didn't really know her or care much about her before I started studying. But when I did start studying her, what I what I chose at that age, uh, you know, which is has stayed with my work from then on, really, is I go for the on- authenticity of a character. I don't want to do um, an impersonation. I'm not interested in those. Mm-hmm. You know, you can walk into any gay place in the country, and you could probably find a lot of guys who can do a great Marilyn Monroe impersonation. But I don't do that. I conjure up her essence. And for that, I just got books and books and books about her, her life, what people said about her, what she said about herself, and I went from the inside out. And interestingly enough, once I'd done that, and I didn't even watch any of her movies or anything, Mm -hmm. the day that they dressed me up for this Hey Marilyn, that's what it was called, the the musical, the rock musical, when they put me in the wig and the makeup and the dress, the sequin dress, for the very first time, I became Marilyn. And people were stunned I mean, I would walk into a room and people would stop talking. They'd hold their breath. It was amazing. And I started talking and walking and acting like her. It was the weirdest thing. But I hadn't ever, ever seen any of her movies or anything. And they, they were saying, well, you're doing the same mannerisms, the same gestures. And, you know, what can you say? I mean, I just tapped into her essence. And, um, it's the same thing now. I mean, I always ask for her blessings whenever I'm going to do a show about her. And, uh, you know, I feel that she chose me to play her uh-huh. in a strange way.
1: And and the reason, though, I mean, you were playing her in that rock musical in Canada, mm-hmm. but the story that you wanted to tell about her was different from yes. that and different from what we've seen, I guess, in the Misfits. and after- yes. So how is yours different?
2: Well, um, I did the rock opera about her, which was a great, lovely, foo-foo musical about Marilyn Monroe. It did talk about the pills and the booze and the husbands and stuff like that, but it only touched on that a little bit. And also, actually, about five years ago, I was asked to do another play about Marilyn that was a play version about her life. And again, it
3: just,
2: it touched on the psychological stuff and the emotional stuff a little bit, but again, it didn't go as far as I wanted to go, what I would want to see about her, which basically is that she was a very intelligent woman, she was politically passionate about certain things like the civil rights movement and standing up for her husband Arthur Miller during the middle of the, you know, 1950s Joe McCarthy whole fiasco mm-hmm. where people's lives were ruined by these guys and she stood up for him and like things like in 1954, She was so incensed about this white-only policy that the clubs in L.A. still had that she called up the owner of the Macombo Mm nightclub And she said to the owner, she said, I want to make a deal with you. If you'll put my favorite singer on your stage, I will show up and take a front table every night, and the press will go wild, and you'll have a hit show. And that woman was Ella Fitzgerald. And he did put her on. And Ella Fitzgerald is quoted as saying... Marilyn Monroe was a woman ahead of her time, and even she didn't know it. Hmm. So a lot of people don't know that about Marilyn. And I think that's something they should know, that she wasn't just a dumb blonde. And a lot of people still seem to think to this day that she was just a dumb blonde who was, you know, trying to be smart instead of a smart woman who was really good at acting dumb.
1: But (laughs) but my problem with her always, I mean, I loved her in Some Like It Hot, and and she was a, a great beauty and a great personality. But from what I have been reading about her towards the end of her career, she was unnecessarily impossible to the yes. people that she worked with, specifically like Billy Wilder or anybody else on the crew of Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. and that, 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 I mean, I guess you can always say there are reasons for it, but that impossible behavior is intolerable. And, yes. and how do you explain or justify that?
2: Right. Well, for, for one thing, that's what makes her such an interesting character to play. You know, because there's two sides to her. She wasn't just all fluff and ice and prettiness and sweetness and light. She was a very tough woman to live with. She was um, totally um, committed to herself and the world basically revolved around her. But my take on that, in which I show in my show, is that basically she was an alcoholic, a drug addict, who didn't get help. You know, she, she really should have been put in a place to get clean for three months.
1: Well, you said she was in a sanitarium for a bit, wasn't she? Yes, no? she,
2: finally, towards the end, I mean, she, she, she also attempted suicide a few times while she was with Arthur Miller, and at one point, um, after I think they broke up, she was put in a sanitarium again, just for a couple of weeks, and the doctor, which was a new doctor looking after her at that time, a woman... Said she has a drinking problem and she wouldn't allow her to have any alcohol. And that was kind of the first time anyone had said that about her. It was always like the pills, the pills, the pills, right? Right. But in this particular case, this one doctor said, you know, she shouldn't be allowed to have anything no pills, no booze. And Marilyn started going crazy in there and wanted to get out. And so she called up Joe DiMaggio, who was, you know, that used to be her husband, but they were still good friends and he loved her right till the end. As most Maryland officiados know, he said he would tear the place apart brick by brick until they let her out. And Hmm. so they did. (laughs) And it's almost a shame because maybe if she had been forced to stay in there and actually really get clean...
1: She would be acting in movies with Jane Fonda now.
2: That's right. Yeah. There you go. I mean, she's going to be... She would have been 79, I think it is,
1: this June 1st. Well, I mean, she could have still been... Alive, right, barely exactly. vital, like a half-burn kind of a thing, yeah. Well,
2: exactly, like why not? You know, and we're going to do a special show on June 1st, actually. Most most of the nights I do my show at Don't Tell Mamas are all Sundays, like from Sunday, May 15th till June 26th.
1: Mm-hmm. But we're
2: going to do a special show on June the 1st
1: Which for, her in...
2: for her birthday.
1: Oh, I, ah, okay. Um, yeah. By the way, did you see the revival that uh, Broadway did last, or two seasons ago, of After the Fall? The you know, Arthur did. Miller play not obviously autobiographical, but certainly with autobiographical elements about yes. his relationship with Monroe. What did you think of the piece? and, and
2: I thought it was right on. I loved the play. Mm-hmm. A lot of people apparently didn't, but I think Arthur Miller has been maligned in his life, and it's a shame because I think he does great work, and it's a shame that he's dead now. I, I almost had the chance to meet him. Um, one night he was going to be receiving an award for his lifetime achievement at the um, Stella Adler Awards, and he had—he was sick at the last minute. He couldn't come, and his daughter accepted it. But I was there, and I believe me—I wanted to meet him so badly. But unfortunately, now I won't get the opportunity. But I loved his work. I had seen it when it was last done in New York. Gosh, with Frank Langella and Diane Wee.
1: One of the critics, actually, the one that I quote most often, and, and ironically enough. Uh, it was John Simon, mm-hmm. who, who just got, <laughs> after all these, speaking of ageism, got uh, fired at age 79 from New York Magazine this week. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but right. he had said about that play mm-hmm. that basically Miller was washing his clean laundry in public. Oh, right, right. So that he, Miller is telling the truth, but it's a sort of truth that makes him look relatively good and guiltless. Did you right. feel that way? Did you feel that it sort of washed, no, washed it on her No, I part? don't.
2: I, I feel that anybody who's ever lived with an alcoholic, and there's a lot of people out there, and in fact, people that are listening right now that either are alcoholics or people that are living with alcoholics know that it's very difficult to live with an alcoholic because they have mood swings... It's almost like there's two sides of the same coin, one side that feels grandiose and like everything's fabulous and I'm the best thing on earth, and then another part that hates themselves more than anything and feels like the lowest slug that could have (laughs) crawled under any stone. And that juxtaposition of a personality makes for great difficulties in dealing with and huge mood swings. And, of course, when they're drinking, they become like a different person. It's almost like a split personality. And Marilyn had that. definitely had that. So, for me, when I watch those scenes in After the Fall, I just go, yep, uh uh-huh, and here he is trying to take the pills away from her, trying to get her to stop drinking, but you can't make somebody do something that they want to do. They have to do it for themselves, and that's why everybody always says they have to hit bottom, and that's why a lot of the people in the families living with alcoholics are called enablers, including, I would say, Arthur Miller and Joe DiMaggio. They both were enablers. I mean... They didn't try and stop her drinking. Joe DiMaggio broke her out of that, that insane asylum where, you know, right. they were trying Mr. to get McCain her clean. yeah. And Arthur, even in his latest interviews and even in his latest book, he talks about, you know, he kind of, part of him feels guilty and he wishes he could have done more, but really what they teach people in Al Anon and these kind of things is you shouldn't feel responsible because it's up to the person. You cannot take the leopards off a a leopard, the spots <laughs> off a leopard. I mean, only the leopard can change him or herself. So I feel totally sympathetic with Arthur Miller about what he went through. And, you know, so I, I loved the play. I loved After the Fall.
1: And and the way you speak about those kinds of problems and stuff, yes. and it seems like more than just book research. You remember, exactly. You know, exactly.
2: Yes, I'm a sober person, and I have been for nine years. Um, I've been through the eye of the needle, and come out the other side.
1: So you hit bottom yourself? Yes, I I did.
2: I hit an emotional bottom where I just realized, you know what, a lot of my friends have died uh, from drugs and alcohol overdoses. And at the point where I decided to quit myself, I was in Los Angeles, and um, I I actually got sober near Martin Luther King Boulevard, And it was a black woman who came to my door when I called for help. And they sent me this beautiful black angel, as I call her. And she took me to my first meeting, which was an all-black meeting on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Uh And And it was interesting. It actually helped inspire me to write the play because those people saved my life. They loved me. To death. I mean, they loved me to life. (laughs) They told me that, you know, you don't love yourself right now, and we're going to stick around, and we're going to love you until you learn how to love yourself. Now, if Marilyn Monroe had had that kind of help at that time, she would still be around today to be performing.
1: But I'm not necessarily getting the connection between the fact that it was a black uh, group and a black church and the fact that you've written a solo, well, not a solo, but a a two-person play about Marilyn Monroe.
2: Right. Well, the other person in the show is a character called Billy.
1: Mm-hmm. He
2: plays the piano, and he has, in the play, he is Ella Fitzgerald's musical director. So I'm t- I'm going from, I'm riffing from the idea that, oh, Marilyn did this thing for Ella Fitzgerald in real life. She mm-hmm. really did. So she knew her. She loved her. She was her favorite singer. In my play, Ella Fitzgerald has lent Marilyn her musical director for the evening for Marilyn to do a show at Sammy Davis Jr.'s nightclub, the Coconut Grove, which was popular back then in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, And Marilyn has decided that she wants to come and do a a special performance for an invited audience to get the record straight about the press saying that she's depressed and in a slump and that her career is finished. And this, this concert takes place a few days before her death. Of August the fifth, nineteen sixty-two. So really, my play is looking at Marilyn from this young black man's perspective of what he saw in Marilyn that night and her love of all people, all you know, all races, all genders, everybody, <laughs> gay people, straight people. She loved everybody, which is, I think, one of the reasons why she is so long-lasting today, her popularity not just her sex appeal and her sweetness and vulnerability that shows, but that love of humanity and animals that shines through her eyes. Hmm. And so that is kind of the connection. And Billy has a couple of speeches there where you realize towards the end of the play that seeing her active alcoholism and dependency makes him reach a point where he realizes he has the potential inside of himself. And he needs to do something to change. And that's where the connection is between the two, the the experience in my life and the play.
0: AM 12.4 is the place to go. If you wanna listen the great radio like silly and smart talk on days Gone By. Thursdays at 7, just give it a try. Do you like the future? Well, what could be sweller than psychic predictions from famous George Keller? Into your future, she'll cleverly delve. Catch her on Wednesdays in never the 12. Fridays at 6, you got Bonnie D. Graham. And romance fill up her program hear her suggestions on Long Island's dating then go and find love cause it beats master Saturday nights from midnight to three Rockers, rock music and wild comedy Jimmy and Robin behind the mic three solid hours of humor you like opinions in politics find out what's new Sundays at 7 the weekly world view sometimes you'll laugh and sometimes you'll grow own. That's top of the course with the great Joe Salzone. Great programming all week long on WGBB. From Long Island's Dating, Friday nights at 6, to Joyce Keller, Radio Psychic, Thursday nights at 11. Jimmy and Robin, Rock and Roll, Comedy, Midnights on Saturdays, and Current Events on Joe Salzone's Worldview, Sunday evenings at 7. So there is the lineup on GBB. And don't forget Thursday nights at 7 for Dates on by, and then Thursday nights at 9 for Filler Up, both featuring me. So many programs to listen to them on GBB Radio 1240 AM, on GBB Radio 1240 AM, on GBB Radio 1240
2: AM. Well, hi there. This is Lenore Zan from the Maryland Tapes, and you're listening to Days Gone By at AM 1240 WGBP.
1: Yeah. Um, by the way, we are talking with Lenore Zahn Who is appearing in a play called The Marilyn Tapes And for more information about it Don't forget to go to com, Or you can find out more about the actress herself She also has a website Lenore Zahn Z-A-N-N uh, Dot com and, and find out more of her credits there Now recently you've also mentioned That you've been doing a lot of voice work mm-hmm. uh, In films and in television Such as Rogue in X-Men. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned that at the very beginning. What other cartoons or, or shows? Well,
2: I, um, I, I play Wendy Waters in Rescue Heroes, which is really popular with kids. There's a lot of toys out, and I actually do voice one of the toys of Wendy Waters. Okay. Um, parents would know that show really well. Also, uh, the other one that is popular with kids is, is called Dragon Tales. And I play a little boy dragon in a wheelchair in that one.
3: <laughs> okay. his,
2: his name is Lorca. And, and you know, I, I, I just put my hat on backwards and, you know, I, I can imagine what it's like to be an eight-year-old boy dragon in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well,
1: someone has to. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, just recently right now I've got a new one that's on ABC TV called Dragon Booster.
1: What is it with you and dragons? What's what's, the... I think
2: dragons are just popular right now, to tell you the truth. I think, you know, in that one I play a young Angelina uh, Jolie-type 18-year-old who races dragons with the boys and gives them a run for her money, and she's like the
1: lead girl in the show. Ah, So so a whole new generation of 11- and (laughs) 12-year-olds (laughs) will be discovering your voice. Yes, it's true. Oh, okay. Um, Oh, you know, I I wanted to uh, get back to one other thing about the Marilyn Monroe Mm -hmm. piece. Um. Since you read all those books And since you You know Did all that actual Research on her mm-hmm. What was What's the consensus On how she died
3: Well There's so many
2: stories About how she died I do believe She was Well I know she was Having an affair With John F. Kennedy she and, really what
1: That was yeah. her, She was having Okay yeah.
2: Yes In fact My my composer Who wrote the songs For my show You know It's an original musical With original original songs Not songs Marilyn Monroe Really sang in real life But original new songs my composer... Black David
1: Rowley, is that... Uh, no, no, oh, he, no,
2: no, he plays Billy in the show. My ah. composer's from Canada. His name is Cliff Jones.
1: Cliff Jones. He's very okay.
2: well-known in Canada. He's written tons of shows and tons of stuff for TV, and he wrote these songs. The only sing- song that I do that she really did sing is Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Right. That's the only one. But anyway, that that said, where was I going with that?
1: Oh, her uh, stuff Kennedy.
2: Oh, yes, yes, Kennedy. Um, she was, de- he said that he went out and had meetings with Peter Lawford at his beach house, and he saw pictures of Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy together there. Okay. So, I mean, what more, I mean, and, well, yeah. yeah, you know. Not, not
1: Bobby, though, just John F.? No, just
2: John F. He saw the pictures of them together, and that used to be their getaway, apparently. And, of course, Peter Lawford was married to the Kennedy sister.
1: Right.
2: Right? So, Pat, Pat Kennedy, Pat Kennedy Lawford. But apparently after John dumped her, after she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President, because it was just too obvious and, you know, there was rumors and stories starting to really get in the the way of his, you know, of his job... Um, Bobby apparently got interested in her, and they started seeing each other. And, again, I know that she apparently had lists of political questions that she would ask these guys when she first met them. She was totally interested in politics. She wanted world peace. She even had dinner with, like, Nikita Khrushchev one night, and she talked about how could the superpowers achieve world peace. Um, So she was really, like, a smart woman who was very, very politically astute. And I'm sure that's what interested them in her, too, other than her beautiful body and whatever. Yeah, they, they
1: wanted, she wanted peace, and they wanted a piece. It's kind of a...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. And then and
1: apparently the Kennedys got it. But, yeah, but... they
2: did. And I, I do believe that Bobby had an affair with her. And I, it's my belief. I like to follow the story that um, she was seeing Bobby Kennedy right up to the end, the day that she died. And he possibly was in town that day. And he broke it off with her, and she um, was devastated and started drinking and taking more and more pills that day. She was seen on the beach, walking on the beach with her housekeeper by some people later in the afternoon that same day, and they said she was stumbling and she was mumbling, and she just wasn't with it at all. And that was like two or three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Then later that night, they say, she went to bed, she played her Frank Sinatra songs, and she had oodles of bottles of pills from her different doctors that she was kind of playing off one another, kind of like Winona Ryder apparently did. You know, they found tons of bottles of pills on on her that was from different doctors all over the city of Los Angeles. Well, Marilyn had two or three psychiatrists and doctors, and she had lots of different pills. And it's my belief that an alcoholic drug addict who is actively still using, there is only one end to the story. It's either the mental institution or the grave. So whether anybody else had a hand in it or not, she was going down. And at her age, at 36, like that's prime time for somebody to start to really show the ravages of the disease if they haven't stopped. Hmm. And so the toxicity of all those drugs in her system was definitely built up in her system and in her liver. So if she did take too many that night, it makes complete sense to me. I would say that possibly Bobby Kennedy was called, and they all rushed over, and they checked it out. It was like, oh, yeah, she's dead. Let's get the hell out of here, so to speak, or let's get out of here. Um, but it's
1: much less likely that someone pushed her out a window or, or something. I don't
2: think so. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they gave her a needle, or, oh, they put enemas or something, but...
3: I mean, oh, I yeah. know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's what <laughs> oh. they
2: say. They say all these things, right?
3: Yeah, okay. But,
2: uh, but that's based on the idea that there was so much toxicity in her liver, but that's because, I would say, it had been building up over the months and years of use. You know, of course she's going to have high levels of that in her system because she was doing it every day, and believe me, you build up a tolerance. Right, I mean, and you
1: need to take more and more in order to exactly. feel Exactly.
2: Right. Exactly, and then when you do take more and more, you forget how many you've taken, so you'll take a bunch more. I mean, yeah. you know, I know because I used to, at the peak of my using, I would take three or four sleeping pills, drink a bunch of booze, and then go out on the town.
1: Now, now you know <laughs> I you know you were what? in Hollywood, but why did you start? Not why did you stop, but why did you start? Me? Yeah.
2: I wasn't in Hollywood when well, I started. You
1: start what in Canada? Yeah. When we were you drinking beers at hockey games, I mean, yeah. there's no drugs in Canada. No, I was no. never a
2: hockey game type person. I started in theater at the age of fifteen, and I turned professional at sixteen. So at first it was like keeping up with the boys because yeah. there's a lot of drinking that can go on in theater. You know, you do a show, it's hard, you know, hard work, and then at the end of the show everybody wants to go out and drink some drinks and relax, and then you can sleep in and then you get up and you do do it again.
1: Yeah. Well, Well, I thought theater people had to be healthier than that. Movie people know, but theater people tend not to abuse themselves, because they know. know? I
2: have to disagree with you. I'm sorry. I mean, some theater people are really good. Like, dancers have to be really on top of it, for sure. But acting, a lot of actors, I'm telling you, Hmm. they used to, whether they still do now or not. I know some people still do, and I go, I say, you know, how do they remember all those lines and then still go on every night and do a performance? But believe me, there are still a lot of people that do. And, um, towards the end, you do start losing your memory. You do start forgetting lines. And some of the people that I've known who've had to go on suddenly, like when they weren't expecting it, have forgotten stuff. And they freak out and they get stage fright and they don't want to go on stage anymore because it's really difficult.
1: Yeah, just to keep up with everybody, you started doing all that. And yeah, that was, was partly
2: that... it. But I think I also believe that you are born that way. You were born an alcoholic, it's in your genes. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, if aunt, Auntie so-and-so was an alcoholic or your grandfather or your father or whatever, you you possibly have the possibility of being an alcoholic.
1: And your family there was? Or... Oh, yeah, we've, uh-huh. got,
2: we've got alcoholics in our family. But, you know, sometimes it takes a while for people to realize, oh, it's more than just a young person liking to go out on the town and have a good time, which is why it usually doesn't hit people until they are older that, oh, you know what, this is a problem. Because when you're younger, you can excuse it off. You can laugh it off. You can excuse it off because a lot of young people go out and drink. But trust me, most alcoholics do start having blackouts early on. And so for anybody who tends to blackout when they're drinking, chances are they're an alcoholic. And they say nobody can tell you you're an alcoholic. Only you can decide whether you're an alcoholic or not. And if you think you have a drinking problem, you probably
1: do. do. Yeah. Well, no, I, actually, I disagree. with it. I think people can tell you uh, right. whether you're an alka. It's whether you want to get help or not. But right. yeah, I, mean, I think I could tell. You know, if, if I saw someone blackout, you know, mm-hmm. t- three times in one week, I say, you know, right, could so. might be yeah. So, so by the way, what about um, family life and stuff while you were being an actress and and, and both in those kinds of times and beyond? Or were you married then? Were you married now? Um, What's the? Um, well, I got. I've been married twice. Okay, I was cool. married
2: for eight years uh, to a musician, and ah, it was that difficult. explains so much. Okay. <laughs> it was difficult because we were both on the road. He was on the road, and I was on the road, and I was doing movies, you know, all over the world and stuff. And it's it's it is it's very difficult to keep a relationship together when you're, you know, in opposite ends of the globe constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think we we grew apart. And our needs changed. Like I wanted to come to the states, and he didn't. He wanted to stay in Canada. He didn't like the states. He didn't. He didn't want to have anything to do with the states. And I felt that my my career and my destiny lay here. So I've actually moved here recently. I've only been here. I got my green card and moved here in nineteen, well, nineteen ninety
1: nine. That late? Yeah. Because you know your film career goes back to the mid early and mid eighties. Yeah, I've been doing tons films.
2: Um most of them a lot of them were in some of them were in Europe some were oh, in right. Australia um a lot of them I booked out of Canada and I shot other places right. or I booked them in LA because I was going back and forth to LA too during this whole time
1: You did a lot of um I I guess like a lot of actresses of that you did a lot of horror film. Yes. So were you getting typecast in the eighties? Like no, humor? it was
2: more just that that's all they were doing in the eighties. In Canada, it was like they were tax write-offs for dentists. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I was twenty-four, mm-hmm. I'd already been murdered probably about twelve times in many nefarious ways.
3: Oh, good heavens!
2: <laughs> but you know, it was it was experience. It was experience at acting on camera, being able to hit your mark, being you know. you okay. true. Whatever, you know, like, I would have loved to do different types of roles in films at that time, and I was ready to, but there just wasn't the opportunity. Since um, 1999, I've been getting much more interesting roles in film and television
1: on both sides of the... The border. What are some of the recent things you've done? And then also don't forget to tell people about the other project that, <laughs> that you're working on simultaneously the trailer, yeah. with the Maryland tapes. Yeah.
2: Well, um, I did a movie by Adam McGowan. Adam McGowan is a well-known Canadian filmmaker. He mm-hmm. did um, The Sweet Hereafter and Exotica, Family Viewing, a bunch of movies like that. Very interesting films. I've done two films with him, one for television and then one that went to the Cannes Festival. Uh, I played the lead in it called Babyface. Mm-hmm. and that was a fabulous fabulous opportunity. I don't know if you can get that here in the states, but it's called Babyface. You can it's on, you know, it's on my filmography on uh IMDb, on the IMDb Google thing. Well,
1: maybe it'll be Amazonable or or yeah. eBayable soon. Yeah. Yeah. But it
2: is a fabulous movie. I play a, a, a single mother who's got like a 13-year-old daughter and she's got a 24-year-old boyfriend. And it eventually becomes a, a, a tree somewhere a trio, where the boyfriend starts making love with my daughter and underneath me. Being, you know, I don't I, know. I like about this
1: it. film. I like this movie <laughs> already. <also. laughs>
2: yeah, and it's it's pretty um, intense, and it's very very sad and scary, oh. and it, it and it happens every day.
1: I I we need to have everything.
2: Well it's like believe me, this Maybe Living Neverland happening. No. No, I mean, you know, like it's it's blue collar stuff. She works in a she works all night in a like a laundromat or something and the boyfriend is home. He's twenty four. The daughter's thirteen. She's yeah. she's growing into her sexuality and he starts doing inappropriate things and the daughter actually responds and so well, then something yeah. happens and well, no.
1: but it's not like a, a threesome, threesome thing. It's more no. like a triangle kind of yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Exactly. In, That's what I mean. That's yeah, okay.
1: I mean. Just, uh, you know, making the FCC happy here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, mm-hmm. I
2: was in the very final episode of the Chris Isaac Show, playing a woman who's the vice president of the um, Swingers Association of America.
3: I, I like did your you career. Know,
2: did you know swinging is as American as apple pie? Uh, I guess it is,
0: especially <laughs> for candies.
2: That's a line from my show. Um, <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I was on Andromeda, which was a science fiction show. I, I just, I've done a lot of television lately, and um Oh, oh in Law do, and Order.
1: I do have to actually uh, bring this part up, because I noticed this on, on one of the releases for the show, and I'm not sure if it's true or still true or what. But if you want to sell tickets to the, the Don't Tell Mama Um, production of the Marilyn tapes, or Mm -hmm. or even for its further thing. You get naked. I do. You do get naked, but it's not sexy. It's kind of sad or or really depressing. it's dramatic. Oh, okay, so it's sort of sexy. You sell some tickets.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, you know know that birthday gown Marilyn had on when she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President? Uh Uh-huh. Well, you know how it looked like she had nothing on underneath that? Right. And, and everybody's like kind of wants to see underneath that?
3: Right. Well,
2: so in my show, they do.
1: The phones are
3: ringing. <laughs> this I is being pre-taped, and the phones are
1: ringing anyway. I mean, <laughs> I to, so, and so it's reason enough to go see Lenore Zahn in the Maryland, the takes, Maryland but you're also doing another show at the same exact Time. You keep your clothes on in that one, I think. I do, I do. Oh, well, but see it anyway. What's that one called?
3: (laughs) That
2: one's called Trailerville, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be on at the Blue Heron Theater. It's a new play by John Dufresne, who is an American novelist. He writes fabulous novels, like Louisiana Power and Light is one of his novels. They're going to be turning it into a movie, supposedly, soon. Mm -hmm. He also has a new book out of short stories called um, Johnny Too Bad, which got a rave review in the New York Times just recently. And this is his first play. It's called Trailerville. It's set in a trailer park down south in Louisiana. And it, it's sort of this white trash family. You know, live in a trailer park. I play a character called Pug. And <laughs> okay.
3: She,
2: yeah, she likes to watch the the all day marathons, the telethon on TV, where you know they they have all those poor adorable crippled children, and you can call in and send them money. <laughs> and my husband or boyfriend in the show called Bromo. He's He's got a great line. He says, you know, what kind of sad-ass country do we live in where you have to, poor, crippled children, sick children have to beg for money on TV.
1: Well, it's true, actually. It's
2: exactly. Right. So, and it, um, it brings up the Medicare situation and stuff like that. And it's playing from uh, June the 3rd until June the 26th.
1: June twenty-six. 26th. So, and that's
2: every night other than Sunday nights.
1: Right, so Sunday nights is the, the Marilyn show, uh, yeah. the Maryland Marilyn takes out Don't Tell Mama, and then at the Blue Heron Theater it's Trailerville. Yeah. the rest of the nights of the week right. from June 3rd to June 26th. But,
2: and hopefully I won't get my characters mixed up. <laughs> I, I, I'll have Pug doing a, a strip scene and Marilyn being a trailer trash. <laughs>
1: you know, it's not that far away. I don't know, no. but the, the one thing that, that kind of strikes me is that you're doing all these kind of Southern and, and American-ish yes. characters. You, were you born in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't tell from the... I mean, how long were you in Australia? I lived there till
2: I was eight. And then we sailed over on a ship to... Actually, to Los Angeles.
3: And we cost? got off the ship yeah. in Los
2: Angeles. And then we drove all the way through America through the badlands and the Grand Canyon and that was my first view of North America Wow until we landed in Regina, Saskatchewan That's Canada
1: Regina with an R yeah. right
2: which was the prairies country and we lived there for about a year my dad was a professor and he, they wanted oh. to see the world you know and then they heard about how beautiful Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada was so we, we went over there and he um, we went all the way across Canada again drove through the Rocky Mountains and all of that and then landed in Nova Scotia, and they've been there ever since.
1: But did you make a conscious effort to to work on your voice or lose your accent, or you never had You do not sound Australian at all. I mean,
2: I started acting at 15. I played Adelaide in Guys and Dolls in a local production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and I had to do a New York accent, which came very easily for me. But I'm a singer, too, you know, so most singers... Uh I find I have an ear for accents and for pitching your voice. That's why they're good with voiceovers, too. A lot of singers and a lot of people from Broadway do these cartoon series because we we have a a really good ear for voices and, you know, pitching our voices. So I went to university in Toronto for two years, and they taught me how to speak down and out instead of down and out, you know, down and out, which is very flat. And um, I just focused on that I just focused on not sounding Australian not sounding Canadian and my first role my first big role I got was what Marilyn Monroe
3: yeah.
2: who's American and interestingly enough all the television and film roles that I've received and gotten in Canada mm-hmm. were all Americans I played Californians I, I think partly because I am Australian I seem American because we're like kind of like cowboys too in Australia you know it's a new country we're very um larger than life, almost with lots of energy and- lo- lots of sort of like chutzpah
3: right.
2: and Canada is more of the British line where they're a little bit more reserved they're more quiet, a little bit more polite <laughs> and oh, I'm, I'm 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 polite but i'm i'm more just larger than life and more colorful sort of so I think that's why I seem to fit in so well here and New York I'm telling you is my new home I love
1: uh, it. so I don't want to leave. Uh, but are you? But can you stay here, will you? Yeah, oh, cool. I've got a
2: green card, and I've got right, a husband, yeah. and I love it. I'm in the village, and I'm telling you, I, I just think this city, out of all the cities I've lived in all around the world, I, I fit in here. I mean, it's so stimulating. You walk out your door, and it's stimulating. There's so much arts and culture and music and drama and wonderful regular people who just are fabulous character studies, and people have been nothing but kind to me here.
1: In New York? Yes. Wow. yes. It takes a, you know it takes no pen but it takes a foreigner <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah. to figure that out.
2: I'm telling you, I I love New York. I must I'm going to be here for a long time to come, so you better get ready, better
1: get used to it certainly hope to to see you in a lot of theater around here but people can see you all through june pretty much um in two different shows the maryland tapes which is at don't tell mama which is on west 46th street that's sunday nights only but of course if if that show goes well there is the hope to move it commercially to um, like off-broadway in the year ahead i would say and then
2: probably in september
1: right that would make sense Mm -hmm. and um at the same time, at the Blue Heron Theater, Trailerville is playing through June 26th. And they both star my very special guest, Lenore Zahn. Um, I guess the last question before I let you go is, is there a role that you've always kind of wanted to play? Okay. Yeah.
2: Interestingly enough, there is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And actually, I'm allowing myself to play a little part of her in this show about Marilyn Monroe, because it was also a role Marilyn dearly wanted to play and never got the opportunity to do. And that role is Lady Macbeth in the Scottish <laughs> play.
1: I was going to say King Lear, but yeah, no. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, she always wanted to do it. And she wanted to do it with Marilyn Brando on Broadway, and wow. she didn't get the chance. So guess what? I'm giving her the chance in my
1: show. To, to do a little bit of Lady Macbeth.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, let's hear. You know what? Why don't we go out on that? Why don't we get a little bit of Marilyn Monroe as Lady Macbeth as done by Lenore Zan.
2: Come, you spirits. Who tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to toe top full of thyrus cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the access and passage to remorse that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts, and drink my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Wherever in your sight the substances you wait, on nature's mischief. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're all going to get How's some tissues that? now. and <laughs> You
3: see why I've got her doing
2: that?
1: Uh, yeah, well, it yeah.
3: her perfectly, don't you think?
1: Well, yeah, I could see it. Ha- let me think. Especially later in her life when there was a darkness there. And she, yes. I I guess she could have. And the mad scene and going mad
2: of which she does in real life and which she does in my play with, you know, the Arthur Miller and the misfits and the booze and the pills and searching for her pills is kind of like trying to rub out that red, the red blood off her hands. True. Yeah. Oh,
1: and you know what? You know, we can only think of what it might have been, and maybe that's... The, I know. In some ways, maybe that's the best thing, too. Because had she done it and it had been a, you know, a laughable disaster, then we'd be like, oh, well... I know. know. Shame she didn't, the pills didn't do her in before she did that show, you know, but... Um,
2: but I'll tell you what, though. You know what I'd really like to leave Aunt Marilyn on a note of? What? Her last, one of the very last things she was quoted as saying just before she died in an interview with Life magazine in which I use this direct quote, actually, at the end of the show. And to me, this is the message of the show. She says, But what I really want to say is that what the world needs is a feeling of kinship, you know? Everybody, stars, laborers, blacks, Jews, Arabs, we're all brothers.
1: Hmm.
2: And there, and that she said that in 1962. So I think it's very topical for today.
1: Well, thank you for, for bringing up all those topics about Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and about the theater and about, like, you know, incestuous naked people <laughs> and everything else.
3: And I love New York. <laughs> and, and loving
1: New York. Best yeah. of all. Best of all. We love having you here in thank the neighborhood. You. Thank you so much, Lenore. You're yeah. so
3: welcome.
2: And thank you, David. Come on down and see the show.
1: I will. Thanks you so much. Come
2: up and see me sometime.
3: <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Ah. <sighs> Fine wine, great books, priceless antiques. All that's missing is something to listen to. Of course, old episodes of days gone by. The music, the comedy, the perceptive talk. And now, a layer of nostalgia. Delightful! Entire shows preserved on compact disc any episode you choose just $14 shipping included no home is complete without Dave's Gong Buy on CD so visit com because you're worth it what do the letters DFSX stand for? They stand for Dave's Gone By, that's what, because DFSXradio.com is rebroadcasting vintage episodes of Dave's Gone By every Thursday night at 8 and 11 Eastern Time. So you hear me on G B B, and then listen to me on DFSXradio.com every Thursday night at 8 and 11. It's all the Dave you could ever want, kind of.
2: Well, hi there. This is Lenore Zan from the Maryland Tapes, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB. Don't
1: go away. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. A big thank you to my special guest, Lenore Zan, catcher in the Maryland Tapes and Trailerville, all through June. Thanks also to my sponsors, Hewlett Minuteman Press and Performing Arts Insider Magazine. 10% discount for Dave's Gone By listeners in both places. Just visit davesgoneby.com for more information. And go to davesgoneby.com right now to hear an older episode of Dave's Gone By on DFSX Radio. Just click the links and you can hear an older show at 8 and 11 Eastern tonight. At 9, I'm back on GBB with filler Up, and then next week I'm out of town, so there will be a repeat episode. Although there will be a new filler up next week, Thursday the 26th at 9. I pre taped it. Now, the following week, June 2nd, I'm back live in the studio for a Tony Award special. The Tonys are coming up that Sunday, so Thursday, June 2nd, I think we're going to have the full three hours from 7 to 10, fingers crossed. But even if not, we'll start at 7, continue at 9 with an all-theater show. I'll Probably have a cool co-host I'll be interviewing critics and theater people About the Tonys I'll be playing music from the Tony-nominated shows This year and years past I can take your phone calls of predictions Of who you think will win And what you thought of Broadway shows you saw this year This is going to be fun And I want to thank program director Tom Ross For greenlighting the WGBB Tony show I want to thank my wife Joyce For being so adorable and wonderful And I want to thank you all for listening Again, a Dave's Gone By repeat next week, but hopefully still worth listening to, 7 p.m., May 26th. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz, Good night. I wanna be
3: loved by you.
0: And gone by.